My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this episode, we chat with Carolyn Leiden, president and lead SEO at Search Hermit. We discuss how she began her career as a copywriter and how that eventually led her to SEO, why it's easier to train copywriters to be SEOs than SEOs to be copywriters, developer and SEO relations, doing SEO for small businesses, doing SEO for a funeral home, and why it wasn't morbid for her, her time at CallRail and what that taught her, founding her own business and the life of a solopreneur, and last but not least, the importance of women's empowerment and balance and representation within the SEO industry. In the news, we talk about how Avast has shut down marketing analytics subsidiary JumpShot amid controversy over selling user data and why Google may be getting rid of Favicons and the black ad label on desktop search results. Finally, we have a deep dive into the role of SEO in user journeys. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Carolyn's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey everybody, this is Jacob Stoops and we are here with episode number 39 of the Page 2 podcast. Welcome back. Um, And we are here with a couple of guests. So we've got Mr. Jeff Luella, who's currently suffering from video and audio problems. (laughs) No, I think we're good. Might have a little fan noise in the background, but how's everyone doing? How you doing, Jake? I'm doing awesome. Yes. If there's nothing that our listeners uh, could could ask for more is more fan noise and more just weird background. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great. But those are the perils of running uh, running a podcast. Luckily, we don't run it live. We do our interviews ahead of time. So I will just edit out all of Jeff for the entire episode. Yes. <laughs> Um, and we are also joined by a very special guest, Miss Carol, Mrs. Miss, Mrs. Yes, you're married. Uh, Carolyn Leiden. Uh, did I say your name right? You did. Yeah. Good job. Yes. And you know what? I probably should have asked you that before we went on because I have made that mistake a couple of times, (laughs) but I thought it was pretty straightforward. But as I was reading it, I was like, maybe it's not so straightforward. So yeah, you'd think it, I think it's straightforward, but so many people are like, they just add letters and I think they don't know what to do. So they just continually add letters. Yes. And I've, I've done that before and I've been embarrassingly corrected uh, at least a couple of times. So (laughs) I need to make it a habit before we talk, before we go live, yeah. recording, like let's figure this out so I don't sound like an idiot every episode. <laughs> I usually try to find somebody on YouTube and hear them say their name themselves, and then <laughs> is that how you do it, Jeff? Maybe that's what I'll do it. Yeah, it doesn't always work, but you know. <laughs> so Carolyn is the president and lead SEO at Search Hermit. So yes. that is that is awesome. So. Before we get started, um, I'm always going to do my, my little spiel about the podcast. Um, we're um, in season two, we're starting to grow a little bit of a, a little bit of a following. So that means that there are plenty of first time listeners, I'm sure, although I know we are starting to build a loyal audience, which is, which is pretty cool and pretty awesome. Um, 
but the the episodes this season are going like this it's um kind of a it, it's a stool with uh with three legs uh leg number one and this is kind of the core of the podcast it's about the origin stories of great seos um, because there's not really a traditional education uh minded way to in in terms of like traditional college to get into seo most of us just kind of fall into it or get into it in uh, a bit of a sideways way. And it's really fun and interesting to tell the stories of how we all fell into this thing called SEO and how we're doing. Uh, and, I, and I think the other part of that is it's really interesting to talk about the day-to-day trials and tribulations. Um, there are plenty of SEO podcasts out there that are certainly just straight up knowledge drops and those are great. Not to say that we're not gonna drop knowledge because we've definitely had some smart people on but really, this podcast is about just what it's like to be an SEO, and it would be like if you're imagining being a fly on the wall uh, and listening to two or three or four, however many SEOs in a room, and hearing what they really talk about. And so this is that. Um, and then the other, the other leg of the stool is SEO news, and we've got some pretty good stuff today uh, for us all to kind of yell about uh, in the news being uh, the <laughs> shutdown of Jump Shot, uh, which we'll get into. I know some, some people are definitely up in arms over that. And then the third leg of the stool is going to be a deep dive towards the end of the episode. And we're going to talk about SEO and user journeys. So stay tuned for that. So let's jump in. So Carolyn, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into SEO? What is your origin story? Yeah, so uh, I was actually thinking about this earlier when I was walking my dog and I was trying to trace it back to like, is there a single moment where I was like, I need to know SEO. And I think it actually um, started when I was a kid because I, I remember getting my first computer. It was actually a Commodore 64. And um, I was like, I, I, too. <laughs> I was like, I'm a genius. I can do so many things. I, I was probably in like middle school or something. <laughs> and, uh, and then I leveled up from there, um, which I kind of wish my mom had kept the Commodore 64 because it's probably worth a lot right now. But uh, eBay, you can get them there. <laughs> yeah, I think she sold it in a garage sale or something. But uh, we got our first like real computer and I was a, a latchkey kid. So my I'd come home, get off the bus and like just scour the internet and I had like a I think like a nano pets I had like responsibilities on the internet and my pets on the internet I had created my own um GeoCities website and talked to my friends on AIM and I would I like lived on the internet when I came home from school and so it only made sense after college um I got degrees in English literature writing communications and minor in psychology I was like this essentially all culminates into marketing and became a copywriter uh, where essentially your job is just to read the internet, <laughs> learn about random topics and then write about them for your clients. So I feel like the Bane meme where it's like, you merely adopted the internet. I was born in it and molded by it. <laughs> I think about that <laughs> when I uh, uh, see other people who are like, oh, how do we use the internet like my mom even my husband I'm like how do you not know how to do this it's because I their internet raised me essentially yeah. first um, off I, I want to that that was a great Bane impression um, oh, I have a Bane mask I should have worn it for this <laughs> love that movie Tom, big Tom Hardy fan really like what what um, what he does um, 
Wow. Speaking of, I just had a, a major brain fart. I did have something I want to ask you. Maybe it'll come back to me, but I did want to ask you about the copywriting. So we did have um, a previous guest on who had in Margie Stahl, who I, I had worked with before um, at the uh, at Razorfish, which I believe it's changed names several, several times over. It's and, back. Yeah, right, right. And we've had, um, we've had, quite a few guests that come on and start as copywriters before they get into SEO. And one of the things that Margie said, which I thought was pretty profound is that it's a lot easier to train a copywriter to be an SEO than it is to train an SEO to be a copywriter. What, like, why is that? I think that if, especially if you've done a long series of like training and writing in general, uh, you sort of have an understand, understanding of like how the flow should work, what resonates with your readers, how it works in um, different mediums, how it works in print versus how it works in digital. Um, and it's easy to sort, at least for me, it was very easy to pick up on um, the nuances of SEO. I got into SEO essentially because I was writing for clients and I was like, why isn't anyone reading my shit that I'm writing? Like, <laughs> so uh, I went to the, the person who was the head of the agency that I was working with. And I was like, can you show me like, how do you measure this? And she showed me Google analytics for the first time. And I was like, Oh, so there are numbers behind this. And so it was really easy for me to sort of like tie it to the numbers. And I have worked with definitely a lot of SEOs. And I don't know if it's because when people come into SEO first, maybe there's more of like a technical web dev IT background. Mm -hmm. um, and so it may be harder to sort of pick up on the nuances that you may get from training and writing for four years in a college degree or even yeah. working that many years in writing. I'm sure some people say I'm overgeneralizing. <laughs> I hope I don't <laughs> offend anyone out there. I'm sure there are tons of great SEOs that have learned copywriting, but I do think maybe it's a harder barrier to entry than, um, starting out in I think writing. it comes down to passions too right so if you're a passion about writing and expressing yourself um, you're, you're going to be you know good at that especially if you're going to school for English my brother is an English major or was an English major was an English teacher um, awesome. and then you know but I am the total opposite of that. I was the, the tech nerd who, you know, was raised on the Commodore 64, pretty much similar story that way. Um, and, and I think when it comes to the technical side, I have a passion for code and things like that, where, you know, coming to meet together as SEOs, like I, I really feel I, I work really great with people who are copywriters because I can handle the technical side. They can handle the, the content side and, and getting the user journeys that we'll be talking about in, in yeah. place and, and where we're going to land. And I'll make sure that Google gets there and together we make a great team. Um, I never, I think one reason I'm not a great blogger is because I, I don't have that passion for, I, when I read my stuff, I write like I talk and I don't talk very well. So I don't write very <laughs> well And when, when I put it all together. So I, I really respect it and I try hard and I use tools like Grammarly and um, I, proofread my stuff 10 times before I put anything out. Um, but it, it is way harder for me to write compared to someone like Margie or, or you, where it's just like, you're just writing and it's almost there the first time. Right. So for me, it's, it's like 10 yeah. reviews and that, 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 that 
drains me a little bit. Well, if I was writing code, I think I would get through it a lot quicker while it might drain you. So I think it's yes, depending sure. where, where your passions are at and where you came from. So Yeah. My husband actually works in IT. And so anytime he has to like write even like policy or technical documents, he's like, why? And I'm like, oh, I'll do that for you. Like I can whip this out in no time. Sorry, there's a dog in the background. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I do think it's like maybe the way you get into it is uh, more based on your passions, like you were saying. Exactly. And do you find that over the course of time, you can kind of stick to your niche or do you find that like you do have to kind of force yourself to branch out into other other areas that maybe you're less comfortable with? Not saying that you're not comfortable with with any, any of that. I think we're about to to, to find out what you're, what you're comfortable with from an SEO standpoint. But I think it's an interesting question in terms of, do you stick to your niche or do you kind of spread yourself out and get a broad base of experience, go get tech experience or whatnot? Um, I, I, what niche I, or niche? I, I want to hear what other people think. Um, I actually just talked to Simon Cox who is in the UK and he was like, say niche. Um, but you Americans yeah. always say niche. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I, I think at least from my point of view, I market myself as someone who, who helps companies with SEO strategy and their related content strategy. But I definitely also really enjoy like the technical side of things. I'm definitely not a developer level and I make sure all my clients are completely aware of that. Like I can't go in and like recode your website, but I can at least assess it and say, Hey, these are the things that your developer needs to look at or maybe help you work with. So I think there may be ways to, I don't know, like niche down, but you kind of do have to have at least the background knowledge of what's going on uh, to be, I think, or to have like a comprehensive SEO strategy because right. you could do all the on-page SEO, you can have amazing content, but if Google can't crawl your site, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I definitely agree there. I think it, it's one of those where uh, going like picking your niche in, in SEO, but to be a complete SEO, you need to know everything. Like, Again, I, I can tell bad content. I can tell if it was written for a search engine. Um, I'm not going to write a novel anytime soon. <laughs> um, and even with talking to developers and with code, like I, I don't want to tell my clients, developers, how to code it. I just want to say, here's the end result we need. Like we need 301 redirects. Mm -hmm. Go, <laughs> you know, right. stuff like that, because I can get into code with them, but it, if they ask, but at the same time, I, I, I feel that, you know, developers have a lot of, um, they're, they're emotional to some extent where if you go in and try to tell them what to do or how to do it, they, they would, you know, they kind of bark back. So, and coming as a marketer, you know, right. what is marketing doing with my code? Um, I, I try to, you know, tread lightly all the time, even though I have the background to do it. I try to let them know, like, hey, like, I don't, this is what we need. We need a page. It's this fast. We want to load it this way. Like you figure out the framework, you figure out things like that and we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah. I definitely think that there's, I was talking to someone about this the other day. There's always, for some reason, this like built in tension between developers and SEOs slash marketers for some reason. And we always sort of like see like we're coming at each other, like, oh, I don't see the benefit of this and, or you need to do it this way. And I found that I've, the 
in the companies that I've worked with, when I can sort of like get on board with the developers and be like, I'm trying to make your job easier. We're doing this together. Like we're both on the same team. It works so well. And I actually have one company where I was like, here's the technical SEO audit. Let's go over it on a call. And then like a week later, the developers had done all the stuff on the audit. And I was like, like the site speed was so fast. I was like, you're going to do so well. I'm so excited for (laughs) y'all. I find that it's an exercise in both sides, figuring out that the other side's not completely full of shit. Like (laughs) once you can convince them that you're not a complete idiot and that maybe you know what you're, what you're talking about. And a lot of times, a lot of times, even if they think you're, you're not an idiot and they're like, okay, this is an okay person. Then you also have to bring the data (laughs) the Mm -hmm. data with you to prove that you're that you're not only not an idiot but the stuff that you're recommending doing well it's once it's implemented it actually it actually works yeah it's funny Um, coming from both sides of that story uh, when i was a developer um one thing that really got me more on board with marketing and stuff was data right like mm -hmm. i kind of started actually before there was analytics that were so prevalent. Like we had maybe like page counters and things like that. Um, but now that we have all this analytics that, that drive behind it, like as developed, like that's what got me into kind of SEO um, or at least into the marketing side. It's like, I was doing what building websites, but it's like, how were these websites performing? Mm-hmm. Had no clue how they were performing. And like most developers don't care. Like they don't ask that question. And today it's, pr- it's way different. But back then it, we were just like, we had a functional spec. We made it a functional spec. Um, and it wasn't our fault if it didn't perform well, cause that was the copywriter or that was someone else. Yeah. But, but today like teams have to really think about that. Like really look at, um, if you're a copywriter, if you're a developer, like developer, you have your own metrics or you're fast. Um, you know, how many like HTTP requests you're doing and, and you get all that down, then it goes, then you have to work with the copywriters to make sure that you're saying the right things. And then at the end of the day, you know, hopefully that you, that starts bringing and ranking your pages up better, but knowing that those, there are metrics behind it and that you can develop better to hit those metrics, I think makes it more like performance development at that point. So. Oh yeah. I like that. I like that title performance development. To, to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this conversation back because um, there were so many different like threads and sub threads there. So <laughs> working with developers and, coming to like a common understanding and a good working relationship, obviously important. Backing it up a little bit further, we were talking about the idea of the idea of being super niche in your SEO focus versus having a broader base of experience. Um, And I think that there are arguments to be made for both. Um, I will say as an SEO, like you're constantly dealing in problems, right? So you're either presenting problems or somebody's bringing problems to you. And there are times when the problems that are being brought to your doorstep are things that you may not be experienced with, which is where that broad base of experience comes in. But so those are two great conversations. I will say we immediately got right off the rails and deviated. No, it's okay. This is great. I love this conversation, but so Carolyn, you started out as a copywriter and yeah. <laughs> get all the way to SEO and developer relationships after copywriting and after kind of doing that, um, how did, how did you begin to make the connection to SEO and then get into kind of an SEO career? 
Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned, when I was in working for that initial agency, I was exposed to Google Analytics, and I realized that there were actual numbers tied to the back end of what I was writing. Um, and I was also very interested in just like the general marketing ecosystem. Like I wanted to see how what I was producing for clients was doing uh, in search, how, how we were using it in paid efforts, how it performed on the website, how it was doing on social media, that sort of thing. Um, so I was very, I've always been like very interested in like the whole ecosystem working together back to our development uh, combo. But um, from there, I, uh, I've worked both agency side and in-house. I've worked, I worked in copywriting for a really long time um, and then moved to uh, different industries where I was essentially like the marketing department for those industries. I worked in medical uh illustration, animation. I've worked in funeral homes. Uh, I, I really like weird industries that seem unmarketable or that sort of have the sort of like the problem and solution. Like how can we market this to people who, you know, people don't know they need medical illustration and animation or that they use it in their everyday lives. People don't want to think about planning a funeral. People, um, I, I worked for like pediatric dentists, ballroom dance companies, both on the local side and then helping like global companies. And so I feel like I got a lot of different experiences in seeing how SEO works for different industries and copywriting for different industries and understanding users in those industries. Um, more recently, I, I worked at a company that was local franchises. So the franchise would approve that agency as the like approved marketing vendor. And I essentially ran the SEO department for that company working it across local um, for a bunch of different companies. That was also very interesting because you get all the problems and issues that come up with um, multi-location businesses, local businesses. And then a lot of times in franchises, you have the mom and pop shop that's being run or that's part of the larger franchise. So working with yeah. both the global company and just, you know, the people who own that business, there's a yeah. lot. Local is a whole different beast also, right? <laughs> so, cause there's different algorithms, different things going on and less spots to actually rank for. Yeah, for sure. And, and also even, uh, I haven't been specifically in franchise for a minute. Uh, even since then, it's evolved so much and there are so many things that are constantly changing. And I was talking to someone about this earlier too, where essentially I think Google is testing so many things that there are so many SERP features coming out and then they go away and they come back. And, um, and so a lot of times, and especially local businesses, when they are small businesses, they have, you know, one to five employees they don't know what's going on with Google My Business or local search. They're just like, I don't know why I'm not showing up or I don't know what's going on. And then they go try to fix it themselves. And I had one guy who was like, I tried to fix something and I deleted my YouTube channel. <laughs> so I had to go in. Yeah, like stuff like that. Google actually uh, advised that they do something that ended up deleting their YouTube channel. But like stuff like that, like I always feel for local businesses, especially smaller ones that don't have access to all the resources. Google claims, Google My Business claims to be like usable for everyone. And it's really not for people who don't know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on right now, I think with a lot of, for sure. Um, today, I think a lot of warnings went out where people were, were getting their accounts suspended for some reason. But Well, and like the thing about it is, especially when you get down to the level of a small business, like these people are just 
they're just trying to run their business. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've had people um, approach me just like that to say, hey, I hear you do SEO. Can you can you can you SEO my site? Which that mm-hmm. phrase in in and of itself drives me up a wall. Or can you um, what is it? What is the other one? Um, SEO optimize my site. Nails on a chalkboard. Right. right. Um, but they don't know any. They don't know any better. Um, and nor yeah. nor should they. It's not their thing. It's not their not their their business to um, to know. And so they do come with these these types of questions. And I guess what is the best way to for somebody that might be working with not a major corporate entity um i know um i feel like we jeff and i we tend to work with more like medium to really large size businesses corporations and not as many kind of mom and pop shops although we do have you know certain people that we've helped over the over the years so like in your experience working with those people like how do you help them how do you educate them what's the what's the best way if you're an SEO kind of considering taking on those types of clients how do you proceed yeah so I usually start uh, like you were saying with education a lot of them don't know what they don't know and and they they have also weird measurements of success like they're like I have I worked with someone in Atlanta they're actually based in outside the city and they're like when people search for my business you know, industry, Atlanta, my competitor in Alpharetta shows up, but I don't show up. And I'm also in Alpharetta. And I'm like, this is not how you need to be measuring your business. Like, let's take a step back and really understand what metrics matter. Does it matter that you don't show up for XYZ Atlanta when you're based in Alpharetta, uh, as long as people are calling your business and you're getting new leads every month and they're, you know, going, visiting your website. Like, let's look at what metrics actually matter for you. What metrics move the needle? What helps you drive more revenue or get more people calling or coming into your business. Um, so there's sort of like a, an education aspect of helping them understand, like there are certain things that you care about that don't actually matter for your business right now. And then I think also giving them easy step-by-step directions for like simple things that they don't necessarily have to put a ton of thought into. So I have a couple of businesses that are like, we post regularly on Facebook, um, Instagram, the ones where we're, you know, driving important traffic for our local business. And I'm like, you could easily do whatever you're doing on Facebook and Instagram for your Google, my business posts once a week, just do the same thing there. Like these are things where if people are actually searching you locally, that's where they're going to find you. So educating them and then also giving them like an easy one or two steps so they can sort of take their local business into their own hands. But also sometimes you get in and it's a real hot mess. So (laughs) you gotta uh, like that. The one guy who deleted his YouTube channel, it was actually because he had multiple um, Google my business profiles because they kept getting suspended and he didn't understand that you don't just create a new one when your other one gets suspended. (laughs) Um, so sometimes fixing the mess for them and then giving them like a quick one, two, three, here's what you got to do. Um, and the basics. All I can think about is the GIF and it's a really like niche GIF. Um, and I'm not trying to make fun of old people, but it's an older person GIF and he's, and he's working this really old computer and, and he drags, uh, the, I can't remember what it is, like my computer or whatever, up into the yes. open and his computer disappears. And that's all I can think of. Yes. <laughs> this story. 
Um, but it's it. I, the yeah. thing is, it wasn't even an old guy. It's just like you were saying, like people right, right. people don't know, and it's not right. their job to know. They people get into business, and I say this with people like all even me opening my own business like I got into business to do what I got into business to do and so I don't know about accounting and I don't know about like law and contracts and so I work with people who are experts in those areas so they can teach me and help me make sure I'm doing everything above board and that's why I think these small businesses really could benefit from even having someone just look over and fix what's like put the puzzle pieces in the right place and then set them on a, a path of success like do these one two three things every week every day um and don't touch anything else yeah no, i feel it's interesting so like as jake said like i'm lucky i get to work on some bigger brands and it's different seo problems but mm-hmm. sometimes like i you know it's one of my problems most of the time is um i don't need links right because i don't like when you're working with a gigantic brand that has like a NASCAR or has mm-hmm. like, you know, TV commercials that are running 10 times a day. You like linking is really not your problem. Now making sure that th- those links aren't going to four, four pages and stuff like that. Yeah. And just that is, but um, my wife just started doing real estate and she works for this little brokerage firm. And I went on their website and I know this little blog has a new blog post every week. And it's kind of like how to make brownies in Alpharetta, Georgia and stuff like that. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, she's paying someone to do this. Who's like kind of trying mm-hmm. to sell her SEO. And I haven't uh, had a chance to sit down and, and tell her like, this is not what you want to be doing, but it's because somebody's probably just saying you just need content. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes, but you don't need the brownie recipes on your real estate website. So right. Unless you're like tying it in somehow. Like, somehow. Yeah. Which I don't think they are <laughs> just yeah. tying it in by adding the city where they yes. sell houses in it. So. I, I want to know, what is it like to do SEO for a funeral home? Oh, man. Uh, it's it's actually really interesting. Um, so uh, you have essentially two sort of like potential target audiences. And those audiences are people who are thinking in advance and want to plan their funerals or people who've had someone pass away and need emergent uh, services. So it's sort of like splitting those two user groups uh, and understanding what it is they're looking for, what they're searching when they're looking for those things, what sort of services would best suit them and how to talk about them in a not scary way because nobody wants to think about dying. Nobody wants to think about planning their funeral. Um, But it's also, I, maybe I'm like, weirdly morbid, but it's so interesting to me. Um, I, the funeral, it's actually sort of like a franchise. So I worked at the company and we owned a bunch of different funeral homes and the person who was the director of the funeral homes wanted to sort of revamp the overall vibe of funeral homes. It, it was like a spa like environment. There were light colors. There were like comfortable furniture, water features, flowers. And it wasn't like this dank, like gross place where you go in the dark to be sad. Um, (laughs) but uh, so we sort of like took that vibe into the marketing materials we created too. And, and it was actually like really successful when you think about like the, the two groups, people are sad and the funerals aren't for the people who pass away. They're for the people who are left. And so you want to celebrate life. You want to remember your person who passed. You want to think about how that person made you feel, et cetera, and to do it in an environment that's sort of like uplifting and celebratory as opposed to sad uh, was super great. And we tried to infuse that in all our 
marquee materials too, which I know I sound weird being like the funerals were great. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Oh, not morbid at all. Not morbid at all. Yeah. I, I don't know. I really like stuff like that. I really like strange industries that sort of come with that like problem solving aspect, like who are our target audiences? How can we appeal to them? Um, and then what are they actually searching when they need our products or services? So speaking of problem solving, you did a little bit of work uh, at CallRail, which I'm not, I'm not advertising for, for CallRail. Um, I'm sure you loved it there. I don't know, but I did love it there. I, I find that it's for all of the emphasis that we have on driving traffic and driving um, conversions. One of the things that almost none of my clients do that I wish they would do is track outbound calls with something like a call rail. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like working, doing the SEO for the company that does all of the tracking like that in that way? Yeah, I working at call rail definitely leveled up uh, my not SEO knowledge in general. Not only is it a great company to work at, they are wonderful about investing in like your continuing education and going to conferences and learning and that sort of thing. But I feel like when you have access to the understanding of like how certain tracking things work, um, SAS in general, I feel like is very data driven. So you get that information about your own metrics, about how what you do directly affects the bottom line. It was like, I think it's, I can't be like everybody work at a SaaS company once, but um, <laughs> it definitely leveled up my uh, SEO knowledge for sure. And then uh, I do think because I, because you have to sort of stay and because call rail and call tracking in general has to sort of stay up with the curves of like what's going on on the internet, uh, how Google feels at the time about <laughs> tracking numbers um, and that sort of thing you get sort of, the front row of like what's happening uh, for those important metrics. And you sort of understand like how you can implement them from, for other people. And that's honestly um, Andy, the guy who uh, is a CEO, CallRail, the founder. I remember my first interview with him. He was like, I'm not here. Um, I don't expect you to be at CallRail forever. I just want this to be a really great stepping stone for whatever is next for you. And I do feel like all that information that I learned there and the next level SEO stuff was a really great stepping stone for me to start my own business because I understand or I understood the metrics that were really important to small businesses that use CallRail for their, their Google My Business tracking and like how many people were coming in from the, their paid ad campaigns for like local dentists and stuff like that. So you can see how not only crucial it is for large businesses, but how critical it is for those small businesses. And I've worked with a lot of companies now who they they get something like call rail or they even just implement tracking in their Google analytics, like tracking events. And they're like, I didn't know that I could see how many people came to my site from each source. And then if, whether or not they filled out a contact form, just having that information is, has been like mind blowing for a lot of smaller businesses. Like the people we're talking about before who um, don't understand they can track things from Google, my business and how people are coming. I think one of the biggest issues over my career um, especially when you're, when you're working, um, you know, with, with mom, I mean, honestly, it's an issue all the way down to from small business all the way up to very large organizations is not understanding if it's working mm-hmm. uh, and having questions about whether or not your SEO team is doing their job. 
or not. And I think a service like CallRail or access to data or actually configuring your analytics correctly and then having your team report back to you using the data is incredibly important and incredibly um, powerful stuff for sure. Yeah. And for small businesses, it can make so much of a difference when they realize like, you know, they don't have huge marketing budgets. Maybe they're spending $3,000 a month and they realize half of their budget is being spent on something that's not getting them any results. And then they put that half into something that is working for them. Like that, that could be like a hundred percent increase in their business. It could be like life changing for small businesses and, and for larger businesses too, when you realize you're wasting millions of dollars on things that, uh, that don't work. And there are, and don't get me wrong. Like there are, really, really great SEO agencies and, and just general marketing agencies that are doing a great job of reporting and so on and so forth. But there are still plenty that do not. Um, and that's where, our, that's where our bad reputation comes from. Those people that, that are oh, just yeah. doing work, cashing the checks yeah. and uh, not reporting or providing data or valuable analysis, just trying to keep that contract going. There's plenty <laughs> yeah. of SEO companies that way too. And, and I, uh, like I, I sometimes battle them on Twitter <laughs> um, where the ones that I know that are just there to get $500 a month and like, mm. and do one blog post or do something where it's like, they're, they're really feeding on the people who need it the most, right? Like uh, the small mom and pop shops we're having, you know, we, we battled all the time, especially in like retail, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. opening up a, a store, uh, like a brick and mortar store and you're battling all the online people, let alone all the Walmarts and targets and, and things like that. And, and then you have the, you know, the slimy SEOs come in and say like, Oh, we'll get you to rank number one, but you never understand it. And I feel bad because probably budgets are small anyway. Yeah. So like, I don't know what people can do for $200 a month or $300 a month. And as a small business, that's all you may be able to afford. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I do feel like bad for those small businesses where they can't afford $10,000 a month budgets um, to, to be able to, you know, really rock. But at the same time, yeah. do you need that? Like it, really as a small business, you need to educate yourself a little bit um, yeah. before you even sign with any SEOs. But as an SEO, like, come on, let's stop trying to, <laughs> trying to, you know, take business from somebody just to get, you know, a couple hundred bucks in their pocket. So. Yeah. And I, when I talk to people, they're like, I've been burned by SEO before. And when I hear their stories, it's so many of these companies that have like monthly fees, they front load the work, they get them to rank for a keyword that's not even relevant, but they're like, you're number one for it. Um, And then they pay them a monthly fee and they do maintenance, quote unquote, but it's not anything that they're doing. And so when that's one reason I think like education is really big part of what I like preach and work when I work with small businesses because I try to be as transparent as possible about what I'm doing. And I think maybe SEOs think, or some sketchy SEOs think if I'm, if I tell them exactly what I'm doing, they're going to like do it themselves. But the majority of time when I told people like, this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it. Here's how I'm going to achieve these results or like work toward these results. They're like, I don't want to do that. That's why I hired you. So that's great. yeah. And sort of to go back on reporting, I, I think it was at CTA Conf a couple of years ago, Dana DiTomaso gave a really great presentation on like reporting that actually matters. And there are tons of companies that don't do reporting, but then there are tons of companies that report on metrics that like, they're essentially vanity metrics. Nobody cares about them. And she was 
I think she talked about call rail a little bit in her presentation too, but like report on the metrics that matter to your customers. What matters to them is how many people came to their site, how many people then like filled out a contact form or called them like those crucial metrics, not like your bounce rate is 10% yeah. lower now. Like nobody oh, cares. Average time on site. <laughs> yeah. Like, it yeah, they the spend 10 class. seconds more. <laughs> yeah, it's a, entirely us. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Um, Speaking of slimy SEOs, we had, uh, so we, we now have a Twitter handle. We, ha- we started, I should have made it sooner. Didn't occur to me, hey, maybe you should have a Twitter handle for your podcast. Um, but in season two, we created a Twitter handle. And recently, I found it really funny that after we, and it actually just happened this past week, where, um, so we put out a, a tweet uh, around our, our last episode um, with Andrew, aka Optimizey, and yeah. somebody quote tweeted us offering um, offering to get us 150 links. <laughs> I was like, "What?" I saw that. I saw. I, did you retweet it? Oh, I yeah yeah. I saw that. I I I, I subtly burned. I I subtly burned that person, and I don't like. I don't want to burn listeners, but like, come on. No, they weren't just links. They were Web 2.0 links. Yes. <laughs> so I think uh, Dave Smart said that he can get us 151 web 2.1 links. Yeah. So if, <laughs> so if you're that person that tweeted us that, like not trying to burn you, but I'm holding out for 150 web 2.2 links. So yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll talk if you can bring me, if you can bring us that, bring us all the traffic. I so. mean, I'm amazed that uh, people will go on my website, fill out the contact form and be like, do you need help with SEO? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Do you want yeah. me to get you links? I can write you articles. Like here's my PBN network. I'm like, no, get out of yeah. here. You're gross. I don't want you. <laughs> yeah. But like on my personal website, like honestly, unless it's like Viagra spam, it's mostly people trying to do like weird sleazy link deals. And it's like, I'm just going to turn off my contact form. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just nothing. It's rarely valuable, valuable stuff. Yeah, LinkedIn is the new place for that, I found. Oh, I I, I've made some like rules on LinkedIn and it's like you have to have like a somewhat professional photo. You have to have like yeah. all your stuff filled out. And I don't just get it with links. I get it with anytime someone says like they own like a usability slash web design shop, it's always like, hey, we'll do it for $50 an hour. So I, I used to just accept everyone and now I haven't really yeah. accepted it. It's like if you don't fit like this criteria of like 30 things. Now I'm not going to yeah. accept it. So it's like, I I'm almost getting to the point where like, if I haven't met you or talked to you, like, no, we're not, we're not mm-hmm. connecting because like what I really hate are people that reach out to you and connect to you and you, you press like, okay, I'll accept your connection with uh, the best of intentions. And then two seconds later, because they can now send you in mail or whatever, mm-hmm you get their sales pitch. And I'm like, well, immediately, like with, within seconds, this has occurred where you just, I just remove the connection. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. No, I, and I, then I report it. So. Oh, that's a good idea. I used to have a, um, like a template uh, that I would just copy and paste that was like, thanks, but no thanks. Like it was really nice, but I should yeah. just be more ruthless from now on. Just be like, get the <laughs> F out of here. So, yeah, it's bad. So Carolyn, you started your own business what what has that been like it's actually been really great i am um, so i actually uh 
start, I'm hesitant to tell the story, but I'll just go ahead and tell my dirty laundry. I started at a company uh, after I started at CallRail and sort of like expectations on both sides were not met. I don't think I thought I was going into a certain role and they had it um, set up another way. And so at the end of five months, I was like, this is not working out. I wrote a great article on search engine journal about it. I'll link it for y'all if you'd like. But uh, essentially I was like, this is not working out for either of us. Um, I had wanted to start my own business, but I was like, I'm going to do six months of planning. I'm going to, you know, save a certain amount. I'll build up a clientele, I'll work a side hustle for a minute. And uh, after five months, I was like, I cannot do this. And my husband was like, you do you. Uh, he's very supportive. He's the best person. That's great. I'm glad I married him. <laughs> uh, so I quit. And as soon as I started putting it out there, I was like, hey, I'm offering uh, SEO services for, you know, small to medium sized businesses. I had so many people that were like, oh, thank God. Like, I've been waiting for you to go out on your own because I need help with X, Y, and Z. And I immediately got a ton of uh, friends, like, I know somebody who needs this as well. Or even when I told some of my friends, they were like, oh, I saw somebody on Reddit in Atlanta needed help with SEO. You want me to reply? And I was like, sure. Um, so like, it's sort of like when you put it out in the universe, it comes back to you. And I had for so long, I had been like, oh, I'm got to wait. I got to be smart about this. I got to save a billion dollars. I don't know what I was thinking. Like uh, all of these excuses. And then when I finally, I like to tell people like when I finally jumped over the edge, I sort of like, created the net on the way down. Uh, so it's actually been really great. And I've been so grateful that at the growth I've experienced and the people I've gotten to work with and the, um, I've, you know, starting your own business, especially as like a solo entrepreneur, there are definitely some, you learn, <laughs> you make mistakes, you try new things. I tried a couple of offerings where I was like, this is going to be a hit. Everyone's going to love this. And I got like two people and I was like, okay, not everyone loves this time to go back to the drawing board. Um, that sort of thing. So it's, it's sometimes trial and error, but the companies that I work with are so amazing. Like I was saying earlier, like it's so great when you get on with the company and you're like, here's what needs to be done. And they're like gung ho about it. They're excited about SEO. They're eager to see the changes being made. Um, so it's been super great so far. And I sort of started the business because I wanted to help women owned businesses with their visibility. I noticed there was a lot of, especially when I would go to like conferences and talk to people in the tech space, a lot of women owned businesses don't get um, like the venture capital uh, funding that maybe men owned or male owned businesses do. And so I was like, well, how can I help those businesses achieve visibility in other ways when they don't necessarily have, you know, the seed funding that a lot of them do. So that's sort of but what I've been passionate about. And I, I work with men and women who own businesses now, but it's been really great so far. And I'm super grateful at all the support I received along the way. So I'm going to make a dad joke, but it sounds like things came together very organically. Oh, they did. <laughs> I like so, that. You just hit on, um, I think, an important, very important topic, not just with business, but also in life and in SEO. Um, in my opinion, the need for balance. I think for too long, the industry, SEO industry specifically, maybe most industries have been dominated um, too much by, by men. Uh, I know personally in most of the jobs that I have worked at, 
Um, it's honestly, the SEO teams have been 90% male. Um, and here, which makes it even better that we've got a, a podcast with two dudes. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the important things for us is that we've been trying to, not really publicly, um, but like it's been important to us behind the scenes to achieve some level of balance in terms of our guests because we feel like everybody has a story to tell in a unique perspective. Yeah. Um, so like, what is, what has that experience been like for you as a, a woman in SEO? Yeah. So I think, um, I, I was raised in a very matriarchal family. Uh, my grandma runs the family and my mom was a single parent. So I have, I have always sort of experienced that women run everything. And so it wasn't until I got into business that I was like, what is going on here? Like, why is this happening the way it's happening? And it, it's almost like I sort of had like a, I don't want to say a blindness, but I was not aware of like how it actually worked in the real world um, until other people, I sort of just accepted the status quo. I was like, oh, this is just how it happens here, I guess, until other people were like, no, this is not how it should be. Other women, other uh, women of color specifically were also like, this is not okay. You don't have to accept this. And that's actually where I, I'm really grateful for CallRail because they gave me the opportunity to start uh, a women's circle there. And so people from all over uh, CallRail in the technical departments, in HR, in, um, you know, development, in customer service, customer success, got to sort of all come together and talk about the the things that we were all experiencing. Um, Like we did one exercise where everybody stood on one side of like a tape line and somebody said, if you have experienced X, Y, Z, step over the line. And I was like, I don't want to, I'll be the only one to step over the line. I'll be the only one who has ever experienced like um, a man taking my idea in a meeting and then people listening to him over, my idea and then being like great job greg and i'm like i just said that um and then all of us stepped over the line and i was like it's happening everywhere so <laughs> having that sort of eye-opening experience at call rail was super amazing and not to say that that necessarily happened at call rail but like people at call rail had all experienced that um in multiple different places but it's been uh, definitely interesting and I think to like meet other people, have those conversations and then think about ways that we can come to solutions. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, I think part of that is like bringing men into the fold and being like, Hey, here is what I'm experiencing. And I know that you're an ally in this. Like, how can we work together to make this better? And even I talked to my husband about it. Now he works in (laughs) a place with women and I'm like, how did you approach that in that meeting? Like maybe she thought you were talking over her and he's like, I, I didn't even know that that's how I was being perceived. And so just like having those conversations often, I think helps. Like, I know my husband doesn't have bad intentions, but I'm like, you came off real rude, bro. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, So sometimes people's eyes need to be opened and in a way that sort of helps them become a better ally. And I love being able to help facilitate that as well. Yeah. Well, I'll just be the first to admit sometimes men are idiots and scoundrels. Too. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I, um, I think in my very first episode and um, Rand Fishkin obviously is a, a huge proponent of what we're talking about, but like the, the issue of mansplaining, which you were 
um, describing. <clears throat> Honestly, I'm sure that for, for myself, I would never want to be perceived that way, but I'm almost positive, and my wife probably will attest, that I have mansplained at home and probably in the workplace without even knowing it. And sometimes I'm just like, holy holy hell, like how can I not do that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think if I did. part of it is just like awareness, like calling it out. And my, my husband does the same thing. And I usually try to, um, I love, this is super weird, but as when I was managing people, I loved reading parenting books because I felt like that really helped me understand like how to manage all different kinds of people. Cause all of us are just grown up kids. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them are talking, talk about how instead of like accusatory tones and say things like when you do that, I feel X, Y, Z. And so even like talking with my husband or talking with clients on meetings, when they talk over me or anything like that, I'm like, I, I hear you because the majority of it is people just want to feel heard. Um, so I'd like to tell like, I hear you. What I'm hearing from you is this. And, but when you say that, I feel this way, it feels right. like you're talking over me. It feels like I'm not being heard either sort of thing. And, I think when you come at it from that approach, I mean, I'm also not past being like a boss ass bitch and like cracking the whip, but I also <laughs> understand that there comes that oftentimes when people feel attacked, they put up their defenses as opposed to like trying to be part of the solution. Yeah. I was lucky that um, earlier on in my career, I worked for uh, some companies that were run by women or the, you know, the managing director of the company, um, when I when I was at Razorfish, also a long time ago, the Philadelphia office was run by a woman named Katie Thorbon, and it's like I never thought that like I was younger, never thought of anything about like guys and girls, and even calling guys guys and girls girls, yeah. and not <laughs> men and women, because because it's just I, I run into it. But I, I've worked with plenty of I'm not gonna say strong women, but women that will at least tell me, hey. <laughs> that wasn't right or, or something like that. So I, and, and I'm always open. Like I, I admit as Jake did, like I'm an idiot sometimes and, and I never mean any harm. I never mean to put anybody down. I don't think anyone is better than anyone else when it comes to anything, except maybe like professional NBA players are way better at basketball than me, um, men or women, <laughs> but in general, um, like I, I try to treat everyone the same and, 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 everything that way. But um, if I ever step out of line, like I hope you correct me because I'm, I'm here to learn also. So it's, um, yeah. interactions are different. So. And I feel like a lot of times people don't know that they've crossed a line unless you tell them. So just yeah. being mad at them behind the scenes or like subtweeting them or whatever. Yeah. Um, people don't learn that way. Yeah. I mean, that's how I have most of my arguments. I just subtweet people, <laughs> big things. I subtweeted Comments. someone the other day and my friend was like, you got to delete that. I'm going to get fired. And I was like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> wow. So I would say like 99% of guys, maybe, maybe less are just oblivious idiots to the like one to 2% that do that shit on purpose. Like stop mm. it, stop yes. it, just stop it. Yes. So anyways, Jeff, let's move on to the news. Yeah. Yeah. To talk about let's, let's, Let's do it. Yeah, I guess the big news of t it's today that it that came out with, but um, and, and I never really looked into jump shot data too much. I know people like Rand and a lot of SEOs, SEO tools use jump shot data for their for for their metrics, and um, never really looked into that company um, or that data. I've never used them, but uh, come to find out, 
at least I learned today that they were owned by Avast, the antivirus software that was free that most people put on their webs or on their home computers that, you know, if you needed a free antivirus, you put Avast on there, not knowing that Avast was tracking you and then taking that data and selling it to whoever wanted to buy it. Um, and so today they announced like, Hey, we're shutting down jump shot. Um, I think it was $180 million part of their business um, to basically say like, Hey, Hey, we're sorry that we sold all your data. You know, we're <laughs> supposed to be here to protect you, but we kind of exposed you. And um, it'll be interesting because huge companies used all that data to, for their, you know, finding out what their users were doing, finding out um, what the industries were doing. So I, it'll be interesting to see what kind of tools get affected by this, but, and the people who promoted it. Cause I know a lot yeah. of big, big names were promoting jump shot and I got all this data from jump shot. So, um, but I know Jake's been itching at this one. So um, what, what's some of your feelings on this, Jake? I'm, I'm itching like every week to just yell about the yell about <laughs> the news. So, <laughs> But I'm not the only I'm not the only one. Um, so I'm I'm looking at my phone. I'm not ignoring everybody on the podcast right now. I'm looking <laughs> at my phone because I'm reading a tweet. Rand Fishkin is pissed. Yeah, I like him. So let me just read his tweet. A vast decision to shut down JumpShot is wrong. Anonymized aggregated data does not violate privacy, and this data source was out best. I'm sorry, he, he had a typo in his tweet, was our best shot at holding the tech monopolies to account. Good day to be an anti-competitive monopolist, bad day for everyone else, blog post coming soon. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's pretty upset. Yeah, wow. Because, I mean, it seems like there was a lot of people who were pro, like, pro this decision. But, again, I didn't know much about the data. And if it is anonymized and aggregated and not necessarily – pointing people out. I, th- I guess he has a point there, but um, I think the other point was nobody really knew this was happening. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's that whole episode oh, like, on South Park where, <laughs> you know, no one reads the term and services. Like mm-hmm. everyone in South Park read them except for, for one of the characters. It seems like it's that way that maybe people didn't know where the data was coming from. Let me, let me tell you, it's, it's really, I feel like I'm okay. So there's a, there are so many different angles to this. Um, one is like, let's not, be naive. Like we as SEOs, we need that data. We got to get it from somewhere, right? So like we need data to make informed decisions and those are very important data points. So like, let's not be naive. We knew our data was coming from somewhere. Okay, Mm -hmm. people, come on. Like people aren't just giving away their search data free in this era of privacy. We knew it was coming from somewhere. I do find it funny that it's coming from freaking antivirus software. Like you said, it is meant to protect people and they're selling your freaking data. I mean, like this is not even on the level of Facebook where like uh, we know Facebook is selling your data, but their job is not to protect you. Like your antivirus software's job is to protect you, which I find really interesting. But like, are we going to lose a bunch of data like from this? Sure. Probably. But like, if they can freaking track your data with antivirus software, well, guess what? Probably Norton or the other ones tracking it too and giving giving data. And who knows what other types of software can be loaded on your computer and track all of your click data. So, like, I'm sure that, that it, these tooling companies are getting data from so many different sources that, like, this probably isn't going to rock their boat. I mean, a company like Ahrefs or whatever, they you know, they're running a, a multi-million dollar business and I'm sure they didn't just put their entire boat all in jump shot, right? 
Like that, that would not seem like a logical strategy. So like, I think we're still going to get our data, but like, come on, what did we, what did we expect? Now am I pissed that jump shot is being shut off? Sure. It would be great to like have that data. Am I pissed that, um, companies are not going to be held to account? Well, were they really being held to account too much anyways? Um, and I, I think the, the other interesting part of this, and I'm going to use a cockroach analogy, it seems like, right, that's right, that's what we're bringing here with this podcast, <laughs> cockroaches. Um, it's like when you shine the light, the, all of the cockroaches scurry to get away from it. And when you take the light away, they all come back. So like this reaction is just, the, and it's the way things go, especially with social media these days with all of the, um, all of the, the social media outrage that in many cases, like that shit gets people fired, it gets companies shut down. So like if you're ever on the hook for something that causes a lot of social media outrage, whether it's real or fake, um, this is a knee jerk reaction to doing that so that they can get that spotlight off of them and then they'll probably, and help. they they might, just because they're shutting down jump shot doesn't mean they're going to stop collecting data. They're probably still going to collect data. So like hmm. we need it as SEOs. So like selfishly we need it. Now it sucks for people's privacy, but like, what are you going to do? I don't know. I Carolyn, Comcast you, was selling it. Right. Well, Carolyn, what are your thoughts? I'm done. Well, I mean, you can continue to rant. It's okay. You seem very passionate about it. I think, uh, so you were saying that you're, you hope that no tool has all of their eggs in one basket with this data source, but it made me think of like the nacho analytic things where analytics, where they had all of their, they were getting all their data from one source. And once that source, I think it was like a Chrome extension or something like that. Um, once that source was marked as like unsafe and people couldn't download it anymore, then nacho analytics had to shut down. Um, so there might be thinks it's not a good business strategy. I guess other people. Oh, I like, agree yes, with that for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a great business strategy, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone was getting all of their data from a single source like that. But yeah, I, I hate to have like a milk toast answer, but I agree there. I can see like sort of all sides of this and it ran sort of brought up the Google monopoly on data thing. And I also think that's sort of interesting because I do feel like Google sort of like, I don't know, not to get super meta, but like we wouldn't exist without Google, but also Google runs our universe in, in like weird and strange ways. Um, like our jobs wouldn't exist without Google is what I mean. <laughs> but so, so like I can see all the perspectives in this and I do, but I also see the privacy side of things. Like people don't read the terms and conditions and the services. And when you download even like a Chrome extension, there are things in there where it'll tell you what it's tracking and most people don't read it and they don't start to go back. We were talking about with like mom and pop shots, regular users don't understand what they're reading if they even do read it. And, and then also it made me think of um, like going back to the Facebook data thing. Uh, There are so many people that, it's always amazing to me that we're just like willing to give up our data for free. Like GDPR happened. And then I feel like in America, we're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, as long as my ads are targeted, as long as I don't get weird ads for stuff I don't need. And it's just like a weird world that we live in where we sort of like accept that that's our reality, that we have to be tracked and that we would rather have ads that are targeted toward us than right. can even imagine like not having like, ads everywhere at all sort of thing. I don't know. I'm getting like too deep into this probably. <laughs> well, you, you just made me think of something. 
um, if we ever do away with like uh, capital capital punishment or if, if like the death penalty ever goes away, um, which I'm not saying like I'm for or against, but like it could be replaced with forcing people to have to read the entire terms and conditions for everything that they sign up for. I know I don't read them and that would be a horrible, horrible yeah. punishment to have to read it line by line for a long I, period of time. So there we go. I There's an like idea. I read somewhere that uh, if you actually read all the terms and conditions of everything you signed up for, like you, it would take you years to get yeah. through everything. That's awful. And that's, that's the bad part about it, right? It's like, Facebook tells us what they're doing pretty much. It's just none of us are actually reading it. So, and, and they purposely make them 500 pages long. So that way you yes. don't read it. And um, instead of just saying like, at least Google, when they started had like the 10 golden rules, you know, yes. and like, and you took it like thou shall not be evil. Like you can figure out what was underneath of that. Um, but you know, even those things are now becoming mm-hmm. like, here's 38 pages of legalese and yes. I'm not a lawyer. So I really like just make it plain and, you know, we won't sell your data. <laughs> we yeah. won't do this. And it's or not we like, are selling it. Yeah, and well, here's we are what's being it. sold. Exactly. Just really quickly. And it's, I think people would be like, okay, well you're, I'm anonymized. They're just for general. I mean, I think a lot of computers and phones now, when you click it, it's like they ask you to, to sign up so that they can track your data anonymously so that they can make, your phone work better or your, you know, application work better. And um, a lot of times if they pop that up, I'll, I'll actually agree because I'll say, okay, at least you asked me and that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> and you just didn't take that and in, in, in there. So I think that's some of the things that I like to do, or I'll send like anonymous bug reports and things like that. Yeah. If I come down to, because it's like, if you ask me nicely, I will, I will do it. But if you just try to hide it. I would say no. So I was on vice. I think it's vice. I was on their website the other day and I noticed they had a pop-up essentially. Uh, do you accept the, these terms and conditions and it said, okay. And then there was an option. Don't sell my um, information to advertisers. So I clicked that and there was like a toggle on and off sort of thing. And I was like, this is super awesome of them that they're at least, yeah. Like I probably, because of like what they stand for and things they report on, but um, I don't remember what the article was that I was reading, but I was like really blown away. (laughs) Tells you something. I don't remember the article, but I remember that like they gave people the option to, not sell their information to advertisers. I thought that was super awesome. And I, like you were saying, it, it, I think there would be less outrage about it if people actually knew what was going on, but sort of like with the Facebook thing, people didn't know what was going on and they didn't sort of consent or know that they were consenting to giving all right. this data away, whether it was anonymized or not. Yeah. Being ethical and honest is a, uh, it's an underrated trait. Uh, who would have thought? Jeez. Yeah, because like like Jeff was saying, like if you ask nicely, I'm happy to. Yeah, you know, and you tell me like, what oh. you're gonna do with it, and, and right, exactly. So, so Jeff, is there is there anything else big in big in the news? I don't. I feel like t- today might be a slow news day, except yeah, for that news wise. I mean, there was the Favicon disaster yeah. where I think last week we were talking about Favicon optimization, and uh, uh, now that's rip, all gone. <laughs> Favicon optimization. I was planning on starting my business solely around that. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're so tacky. I even, so back in November, I, when they started coming around again uh, in January, I was like, I tweeted about this like a couple of months ago and I went back through my tweets and it was it, like mid November. They were testing them again because I was like, these, they make the SERPs so tacky and like, Oh my God. They look awful. like 1995 SERPs. I know well, I'm they, exaggerating. <laughs> and I saw a lot of people stating that their paid search numbers started going through the roof when they started kind of like, 
de-optimizing the ads to make it look mm-hmm. like a normal um, listing that they were seeing 200% increases in, in paid search like revenue. And I was like, oh, that was like totally what it was. And then after people started posting that, Google took the Favicons away and they're mm-hmm. like, we're reworking. <laughs> so, Retesting. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of that small, like uh, Marie Haynes did something where she asked uh, a couple of like non SEOs about the featured snippet thing. And essentially the result was that people don't know really the difference between an ad and a featured snippet and then just like general results. So it doesn't surprise me that with the favicon thing, people don't understand like regular searchers don't understand the difference. Yeah. And, and they think they're being like, they, I'm not clicking an ad, but they are. <laughs> yeah. If they even know ads exist on it. Right. They, right. I mean, it says ad. <laughs> it, I mean, True. It, it said it, it's just when it's the first five listings, it's kind of a, yeah. you know, you, you're like, Oh, that seems like what I want. And you click it. So. Yeah. I do. When I do purchase things, I do try to click an ad and then convert from the ad so that I'm like, somebody's getting some good numbers. The joys of working at SAS. You understand how that works and marketing. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm getting somebody a conversion. Every Black Friday, if my clients are like uh, clients where you can like buy things in their store and it's something that I need to buy for like the holidays, um, I definitely make sure that I go and do a nice organic search for a keyword that I know we really need this one. Uh, And if I'm going to buy it anyways, I make sure that I go through the right path so that we can get the, get the credit, not trying to be like unethical or or anything. (laughs) gonna buy it anyways i might as well just do an organic search so that we can get some credit for that thing yeah i feel like uh your one purchase is probably not gonna <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. so i don't think it's totally unethical <laughs> if you're yeah. your one purchase is not gonna tip the scales right. so might as so well do, do it i do it the opposite i click the paid search on my competitors so you're such a bastard <laughs> like you had to pay for that <laughs> and then don't buy anything exactly dr evil i just charged oh. you 15 cents <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, so let's, I mean, I, I think we're done with the news. Um, so let's move into the third leg in the stool, SEO and user journeys. So I'm going to start off this conversation by I, I saying, I feel like there was a, a really interesting article. I think it was on Search Engine Land a few uh, maybe a week or two ago by, and I'm not going to say his name right, Egan Hen, uh, I believe it's at Rebelytics, wrote the article and it was speaking to the impact of what happened for a, a large e-commerce website when you got rid of all of the informational, quote unquote, higher in the funnel content to kind of the end results. And the end results prove that, well, it wasn't really that wasn't really a good outcome when they, the, the company that he was working with decided to get rid of that content uh, because it had helped through os- osmosis. I don't, I don't know if that's probably the right way to say it, but it had helped uh, add value to the actual um, rest of the website in terms of, you know, where people were actually converting being the e-commerce uh, categories and products and so on and so forth. And um, I personally find that when I come to a client and I say, hey, these aren't pages or this content is not very low in the funnel, which is to say that it's not very close to a consumer purchasing, but I think it's important, but it's high funnel. It's still, uh, it's still a consumer 
doing maybe their research, but I think we need to publish it. However, if we publish it, the ROI for these pages is not going to be as high and it's not going to be a direct correlation. It's going to be maybe like, uh, or I'm sorry, it's not going to be direct causation. It's going to be maybe more on the correlation side. And I find that even though I know from my experience that that's an incredibly valuable tactic, that there's pushback there because the ROI isn't clear. And maybe when we started talking about this as kind of a deep dive topic, that's what you had in mind. That's what I thought of, or I'm sorry, maybe it isn't what you had in mind. That's what I thought of, but I don't know. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about just SEO and user journeys in general? Yeah, I think that uh, because I sort of see, I see SEO as really a foundation for a lot of marketing. Um, I know that some people sort of see it as an add-on or a one-off, but to me, SEO is really about what is my user looking for? How can I serve their needs best? Um, and how can I analyze sort of like what it is they're searching in order to provide that sort of need? And because I come at it from that perspective, I do see it as in, like a critical part of like the user journey is an, is a critical part of SEO and all steps of the user journey. Um, I think a lot of people see the top of funnel as like, Oh, we're just driving traffic, but that traffic, like you were saying, doesn't convert directly. And that's where I like to sort of tell people that it's not necessarily at that point about converting them directly from the top, but being the source of information on that topic or that product or service that you're answering those top level questions so that when they get ready for the next stage in the funnel, they already see you as the expert in that area. Your the website they go to when they have questions about it. Um, like I use um, Zapier for a couple of different clients. It's not like my main tool, but I love their blog. They have information about productivity and some of it doesn't even relate directly on how to use Zapier. It's like, some of their stuff. One article I really love is how to um, use Google Sheets to create sort of like a a weekly to do list. And my husband was like, "I need some sort of like project management tool." And I was like, "Look at how you can use Sheets for this." Um, so <laughs> it's not uh, it's not like directly tied to their bottom line, but I go to their website. It's one of the few blogs that I purposefully like go to and actually read on purpose, not, I just happened to log in on Twitter or something else. But I do think that, so when I think of ways to speed up productivity and to like make things really quick for a lot of my clients, I know that I can find probably information on whatever it is I'm looking for. And then when I move to the next stage of the funnel, which is how to connect a couple of different apps that don't have an existing integration, um, I can increase my productivity and uh, the connection with Zapier. So like, I think when you sort of approach it from you're coming at this from the top of the funnel, just so you can be the thought leader in that area and the go-to resource for that topic product service. Um, and then also you, you kind of have to look at the user flow. I think that's where Google analytics comes, Google analytics comes in handy. So you can see, Hey, lots of people are landing on this page. And then from there, they're going to this middle of the funnel page and then from there, they're finally converting. Yeah, I was I was lucky. Like early on, when I did web development, um, I got to. So I actually started off my my life as a web designer. Was really bad at that, but took to took to development and um, working at some some agencies where I got to 
you know, we, we actually were very collaborative where I got to work with the designers, the UX people, like at least the companies that had UX um, were, were great because like we got to work on this from the very beginning and we created user journeys or, you know, or at least personas and how people are, are going to use your site and then taking those personas and then pointing them towards like, how are we going to build the site around our, our users and, and how, like, where do we expect them to land? Um, at that point I was doing development. So I never really like had like from the SEO standpoint where things were going in there, but at all, we just want to say like, uh, like, here's our user journey. Here's our maps that we created. Here's like the different sections, like engage, like where are they going to engage at? Where do we explore kind of the discover phase? And, and then how are we going to build the website out from there? Um, mm. So as a developer, I was just like, whatever, I'll just like, I'll code whatever you want me to code. <laughs> um, mm. But then when I came into SEO, I started thinking about that in the past and going like, how can we actually like make this work for, for SEO. And um, it's funny, Jake, I don't think I've ever shared with you, but I used to create a couple of user journey maps back in the day. And, and I didn't think our customers really got it because they also had like their own development teams and design teams pitching this stuff to it. So I was always trying to get into um, like get into those processes so that I can say, like, this is where SEO would affect your, your journey maps. But in general, I don't know if a lot of people in SEO know what a journey map is. So uh, is that something maybe you can explain to us? Carolyn? Yeah, so I actually wrote an article for Search Engine Journal about this too that has like sort of a matrix. It's a Google Sheet. I love Google Sheets. Um, a Google Sheet that sort of like helps you synthesize it in sort of a user map sort of way. So, and one thing, I actually worked with a web designer on my site and I really loved the way she uh, was talking about like, okay, you need to think about your design each page of your site with the idea that, or with the goal or the next step in mind. So like I'm designing the homepage, where do I want my user to go after this? Um, and I think a lot of people miss the middle of the funnel. They're like, oh, you, you asked a general question, now buy! And people aren't ready to buy it um, at the top of the funnel. And I hate also as a user being like, sure, like shoved down the funnel. They're like, just buy, I don't care what you actually want. Um, so taking that into consideration and and, looking at it through the lens of your individual target audience's pain points. Um, that's one thing I like to emphasize, especially like in the search engine um, journal article is a lot of people are like, okay, I want them to go to my homepage, maybe go to the about page and then go to the contact page or homepage services slash products and then check out or something like that. And nobody really takes into consideration like how those pages are going to flow from one to the other and how in the process they're addressing what your individual user has come to your website for. So a lot of people um, look at it from a perspective of like, here are the, the features of what I'm offering. Here's what I can do. And, and you really need to look at it like, why did someone come to my website? What problem are they trying to find a solution to? And how do I solve that problem? Not like, you know, the laptop only weighs 10 pounds or, you know, like three pounds, um, the, the benefit is that you can take it in your backpack and go anywhere. And that's what the person cares about sort of thing. So looking at uh, what the actual pain points are, how those pain points are addressed and you're the solution for those pain points. And then what that solution means at the top of the funnel, in the middle of the funnel, and then finally at the bottom of the funnel for the conversion. 
There are so many important aspects of understanding the funnel. And I think like maybe to some SEOs, maybe to some people on the business side, the idea of the funnel, like even in 2020 still seems incredibly abstract and is still something that, and, and it's different for every business, but overall it's basically the, the, you know, the same, but it's slightly different for every business, but everybody's still just trying to understand how people are interacting with them and are how they're interacting with the funnel. And more importantly, because rarely do people just stick with one channel uh, or one device. It's incredibly important to have um, an anal- not just an analytics solution in place, but um, to think about it in terms of like attribution, like how are the mm-hmm. different channels interacting with each other? Is somebody maybe clicking an ad and then not converting or, hey, they read this article that they found on organic or they found on social media or, hey, maybe the brand sent them an email. So there are all kinds of different ways to convert. And I think one of the biggest things that companies struggle with today is piecing that together across channel and across device, which is why, I mean, we, it's funny, we talked about this um, last week with Andrew as kind of an overlooked fundamental, but the importance of having analytics, not just in place, but set up the right way so that you can catch those interactions. And it's funny that we talk about this in the context of jump shot data and privacy and so on and so forth. But on our side, on the marketing side, it's absolutely um, essential in terms of understanding how people are interacting with the funnel. Um, And I'll, so I'll, I'll see one there and I'm going to raise you one um, and I'm going to give you an example. So people think about the funnel a lot of times to the point of completion, which is purchase, conversion, whatever that is. And sometimes people forget to think about the funnel after that point mm-hmm. or when you get to that point and it fails. Um, I had a, a one client that I worked with um, way back, probably five, six years ago at a different agency and um, e-commerce client. And one of the things that we were really failing at was, was, the idea that when people would get into the cart, they would just drop out. And we didn't know why, we didn't know how, we didn't know what was causing it. Um, and it wasn't until we put, you know, tracking pixels within the, within the actual cart where we able to kind of like figure out what the problem was and address it and track where, um, you know, with, with which products or which actions or channels or whatever, um, cart uh, a dropout was or cart abandonment was occurring and that saved that company a lot of money and it was just a simple analytics thing so like just stupid stuff like that you wouldn't think mattered certainly does matter um, both in terms of on the customer journey side and like hey we need to be tracking people all the way through it in order to understand what the hell's going on so yeah yeah and I think a critical part of that is like some version of talking to your user, whether it's like actual user testing or getting those sort of like something like hot jar that sort of like tracks what people are doing once if they're especially big issues like huge card abandonment. And um, Sarah Gerbach, who works at Sierra Interactive, she actually gave a really great talk. I think it was at CTA Comp this past year where she was talking about 
the questions you can ask your users. And one, you know, we ask questions of our users, like, why did you choose our product or service? Um, but we don't ask things like, what made you almost like not choose? Like what barriers to entry were there? Or what made you hesitant about choosing our product or service before you did decide to purchase? Like, what are those potential things that prevented you that could have prevented you, that probably prevented a bunch of other people, but you decided to push through. Um, and if you don't have access to your people who didn't convert, if you're, you know, you may, depending on what your product or service is, people sign up to a certain point and then you can go back and say, what did we do wrong? But if you don't, you can talk to people who did convert and say, what almost led you to not do that? So you can get that information from them too. So I want to flip this around because we're, we're thinking of the, um, the customer journey in, in the right way, but I want, to, I want to flip it around and say, is there a wrong way to think about it? And I'll give this anecdote. Um, I have a, a, a current client. I'm not going to say what client or what query um, this is related to, but they get a lot of traffic they do one thing and they get a lot of traffic and, and they're very happy that they get this traffic. And I'm, I'm really trying to emphasize that it's not valuable traffic and it has nothing to do with their business. It's the equivalent of, I don't want to like say what their service is, but it's very far away from this. It would be the equivalent of having like a, an apple pie recipe. And yes, their, their apple pie recipe article is getting a lot of traffic but has nothing to do with what they actually do. So is there, especially with high funnel content, mm -hmm. is there kind of a, not just a point of diminishing return, but like, hey, some content shops are going to crank out 80 pieces of content for you per month. And we run into that a lot when people come to us with content. It's because somebody has told them you need 80 pieces of content. And we always ask, why? Why 80? Why that many? Is that yeah. right? Is it all about your business? Is it relevant? Um, we ask all of those questions. But like, is there not just a point of diminishing return, but like a point where it just becomes just useless, like just a waste of action to do that? Yeah, I, I feel like we probably all have, I, I have multiple clients that they've had someone produce a piece of content in the past. It drives almost like a, like a large chunk of their traffic and nobody converts from it because that's, it has nothing to do with what they actually do. And it's because somebody was like, oh, this, this will rank really well and it'll drive a ton of traffic. And it does, but nobody actually converts off it or moves to the next stage of the funnel. It's super common, I think. And I think that... I, I tell my clients, like, I would rather you produce one amazing, comprehensive piece of content a month or a quarter even that assesses a topic that is within your realm, address your target customer's pain points in a way that's relevant to them, than produce like 80 pieces a month. And I think that, like, it sounds regular to you and I, but that blows people's mind. They're like one piece a quarter. What? And I'm like, you could do so many things with one comprehensive yeah. piece a quarter. You can make it into social posts. You can make it into a case study. You can make it into a white paper. Like you can sort of this whole marketing ecosystem. That's SEO is the foundation. Of, like I was saying before, um, dogs being bad behind this. Sorry. No, <laughs> but, okay. uh, <laughs> we love attention. dogs here on the page two podcasts. Yes. I have a greyhound. His name is space ghost. Space um, Ghost, Coast what a, to Coast. What a name. Yeah. 
Um, but so essentially like it, when you, I feel like people often don't zoom out into the bigger picture. They just think my main goal as an SEO is to drive traffic. So I'm just here to drive traffic. And that's why I think it's so critical that many SEOs look at the whole funnel because we well, want to make sure we're not just driving traffic, but we're driving qualified traffic that has the potential to convert. <laughs> and, and not just look at the whole funnel, but like consider other channels. Like SEO isn't the yeah. only, not the only, it's not the only thing going. I think it's the best thing since sliced bread, but it's not the only thing going. <laughs> so I'll tell everyone that. We, we, we know your dog is starting to cause a ruckus. So one yeah, last, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. We love, we, we love it. One last uh, question. And we always ask this question. It is, imagine somebody um, gets into SEO this second, today. They're getting into SEO. What advice would you give them? Um, I would tell them to join SEO chat <laughs> every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I actually inherited SEO chat. I'm the host and slash administrator, administrator of SEO chat now. But when I was... Uh, first, like really getting into SEO, I feel like I learned so much from like the SEO communities that are in are in forums, um, at, like on Reddit. Surprisingly, there are some weird people on Reddit, but you know, yeah. take it with a grain of salt. Like me, <laughs> <laughs> and then on Twitter too, because I'm I really love how the SEO community. I can go. Um, there are also some really great great Slack channels that I can go and be like, hey, I have this client. I'm running into this issue. I don't know what's happening. And I'll have a bunch of different people be like, have you tried this? Have you looked here? Like assess this or talk to your XYZ person. And so I really just, I love how um, open the Twitter community is specifically. I feel like I've met, I've met uh, people in real life that I've been friends with on Twitter and it's like meeting old friends. Like we've been, yeah. like we've known each other for our whole lives. And when I was first really deep diving into SEO, I learned so much from people who have been willing to share their information and um, even just like things about specific industries. Like, oh, I have clients in this industry and that's what I'm experiencing. Maybe that could be part of your issue. And so I really like being able to sort of like give back to that now. And, but I do think that it's one of the best things about SEO. There are obviously bad apples every once in a while and like cranky people and people have their opinions, like the jump shot data thing, for example. Um, but I do think that all in all, like people do want to help you and they do want to, um, make you a better SEO, even if they're just like, here are some articles to read, or here's where I learned this or check this out. The latest news I think it's a great community. It, it is a great community. And I will say um, there are trolls out there and we got our first troll through a blog comment and it was. Yay. Congrats. Yes, we made it. We got a troll um, and it came through and we did not approve the blog comment, but yes. Um, what we've found is like, it's amazing the level of people that when you just in this industry, it's unlike any other industry. When you just simply ask them something, the willingness to share is just, unbelievable and like not only that like I've been amazed by how many people would just be open to even come like for example coming on this podcast uh, there were there were certain people in the industry that I would be like I'm shy and I'm afraid to ask them but then when you do like they say yes and like yeah. for most of my guests that's been the situation I've been genuinely shocked I was like, I can't believe they said yes. Wow, cool. We're going to get to talk to them. Now we know them. It's so great. So that's, yeah. that's the SEO industry. It's really cool. Or I've been like, I don't know what's going on on this site. And people have been like, send me the site. I'll look at it. Like on my lunch break, I'll just run a quick crawl. And I'm like, you're, 
you're going to do a crawl. Like you're going to assess the site. Like I should be paying you for this. And they're like, no, like I, this is interesting to me. Like, I just want to check this out or, or I've been like, why is this happening in SERPs? And they're like, Oh, I'll, I'll Google from like these different places or I'll ask my friend in like Denmark. And I'm like, wow, you're asking your friend in Denmark for me. (laughs) That sounds so cool. I know. Yeah. So Carolyn, where can people find you? Yeah. So my business website is searchhermit.com. Um, and then I'm on Twitter at Carolyn Leiden, which is where you can find more information about hashtag SEO chat. If you do want to join in, I just, nice. I want to invite everyone to join the community. I love all the different answers and experience levels we get. So please come. Cool. Yes, please go. And if you want to do business with her, it's searchhermit.com. She's all over Twitter. Um, on LinkedIn too, but don't be weird. Don't be yeah. weird. Come on oh, yeah. y'all. Yeah. So there are 50 links. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Carolyn, thank you so much for um, for coming on. It was a great conversation. And uh, I guess we'll let you go so you can go let your dog out. Yeah. Oh, he's so sad. Y'all, look at him. Right. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, If you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.